intentions as uh, we read the word of today. So from Acts 25, and I'll be reading the NIV. Paul's trial before Festus. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. And after Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it's not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they've faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, 
King Agrippa and all who were present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You have said in your word that every word that is written is good for our instruction. So we pray that as we today listen to your word and even to the reflection that we, we made upon your word, that you will just speak to our heart that you will help us to see you better today, that you will help us to see you uh, in a glorious way, in a way that help us to trust you, help us to commit our lives to you, and help us, Lord, to endure in your ways. Thank you again for the promise that you have given, that you will teach us. We praise your name for that and pray that, Lord, even now you will teach us by your spirit, that you will calm every thought that is against you now, that you will calm any idea that can draw us away from the meditation of your word. We pray and ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning again, brothers and, and sisters. If you haven't been here in RBC, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts of Apostles. And more clearly, we have been coming almost now for a year now, in the book of, of Acts. We've started by looking into Jesus Christ resurrected and how that impacted uh, the life of the believers. Then we continue looking to how that uh, truth of his resurrection impacted even the preaching to, uh, of the gospel to the rest of the world. And now in this last month, we've been very focusing on the part of Paul's life where we see Paul coming to Jerusalem and there being imprisoned. So, if you've been, let's say, to a movie and you arrive late, or even you start to watch a series, but you get to a series at a certain point of something happened in the story and you wonder, what's going on? I'm kind of lost. Let's say that you have started the second episode of the series and you don't really understand how what is happening fits with all the rest of the story or even what the author or the creator of the story had in mind. So basically this is almost the same way that I personally felt when I came to that passage, Act 25. You see, we've been in, the, uh, in most of the book, we've been looking into what God was doing, seeing miracles and God doing big, many big things. But here we see Paul in prison. And as you read, there is no much of God appearing in the passage. It just seems to be events that the author is telling us. So my, one might be wondering, what 
the goal of this passage, what is Act 25 really has to do with everything that is happening in the life of Paul. We've seen last Sunday that in Act, uh, Act chapter 24, that Paul was brought in trial before Felix. And we see how Felix reacted toward Paul. We saw also that Felix left Paul in prison at the end of his governorship. And this is exactly where we are at now. Paul in prison for two years. And one of the big questions that one might be asking as we, as we ponder what this has to do or how this goes into the whole, uh, all, all idea or all thinking or all purpose of God. It's good also to remember ourselves that each event that happened in the Bible sometime or most of the time will be reveal something about God. And if we cannot find in the passage how God is, is shown or revealed to us, we might have to look a little bit bigger. That means like also like imagine that you are doing a puzzle and then you take this small piece and you look very close. It's hard for you to see. But then as you go a little bit further, you take your, your eyes a little bit further, it might help you to see all the pictures. So the big question is, what in, in this passage, how can we see Christ uh, revealed to us? And the big idea for me in this passage is that as we endure patiently in our trials, we can be assured that God is working in, in the, in the back, in, in, in behind the scene to accomplish his purpose for, his, for, our, for, for our lives. So as we go together in this passage, this is how I'm going to break down the passage. You don't, we don't, I don't have any PowerPoint today, so I would just help you, ask you to be re, really patient with me and pay attention. So I want to look into the context of the passage, what's going on to be sure that we understand the passage for itself. Then as we look into Paul's trial before Festus, I just want to also see that Paul is really in danger in this passage. The danger in which he was when since he arrived in Jerusalem still continues. Also see that through this passage we found that Paul is innocent. And also as we think about how God is present into this passage. I want also to look to the fact that God indeed is in, in present in Paul's life at this particular moment of Paul's uh, history. And also that Paul's attitudes is determined by the way that he himself understands how God is present in his life. Also, I would like to conclude with some um, Conseil or some encouragement which each one of us regarding to what we may be going at this very time in our lives. So let me repeat again, the big idea is that as we endure in our trials, when we do God's will in our life, we can be assured that God is working in the background to accomplish his purpose for our lives. 
So Paul is in prison for two years. And then after Felix comes a new governor who is uh, uh, Festus. The governor Festus was uh, the 12th procurator of Judea, successor of Felix. Nothing is really known on he, of him before he assumed that governorship in Judea around AD 60, 62. Inherited all the troubles and tension that were mounting during Felix's maladministration of the region. Uh, maladministration which culminated with the revolt of the Jews and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70. Very little is known for him, uh, if not that he died three, of, uh, three years, or two or three years after he, uh, he, he was governor of, uh, of Judea. So in this passage, Felix, newly appointed, goes down to Jerusalem, where he's supposed to meet the uh, elders or the most prominent people of the Jewish, um, of, of the Jews. And this is comprehensive because as a new governor, he goes to see those that is supposed now to be governing. So when he arrived there, the Jews asked that as a favor, as a new governor, and you are coming and, and you, we want, you want to be a good relationship with us, as a favor, you will, we would like you to bring down Paul from Caesarea and allow, allow him to be judged here in Jerusalem. Festus refuses and instead asks them to go with him to Caesarea for Paul to be judged before a Roman court. And throughout the judgment, Felus recognized that Paul is innocent, but wishing, however, to please the Jew, he proposed to have Paul being judged in Jerusalem in his presence. At this very time, Paul made an appeal to Caesar which Governor Felix, after uh, speaking with his council, decided that he would grant. Problem is, Felix doesn't have any reason to write to the emperor as he sends Paul. So, if he, st he takes the opportunity when the King Agrippa comes to visit him to now propose the case of Paul before him hoping that through this, uh, this new uh, examination uh, and also with the input of Agrippa, he might have a good reason to write as he sends Paul to the emperor. King Agrippa comes with his sister. King Agrippa here is Agrippa II, the son of King Agrippa I and the grand-grandson of Herod the Great. Agrippas are very, very known for uh, their cruelty in the Bible. We remember that King Agrippa I was the one who killed James, the brother of the Apostle John, and also arrested Peter with the goal of wanting to kill him. So he comes with his sister Berenice, a young sister uh, of him of one year older than he is. And also they are the brothers and sister of Drusil which we have heard of in Act 20, 24, 
Drusilla was the wife of Felix, if you re remember. So we are kind of in the family uh, situation here. So they come to pay their respect to Felix, and at that time, as I said, Felix exposed to them the case of Paul. So that begs the great, the great question, where is God in this period of the life of Paul, and how does Paul go through his trial? As I said, that one of the things that I want to show is that Paul is still in danger. Paul is in danger because his accuser presents serious, uh, serious charges before, again, the, uh, the, uh, the, the new governor with the goal of having condemned to death. We read, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charge against Paul. And also in verse seven, when Paul came in, the Jews had come down, who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charging against him, but they could not prove them. The reason the Jews were bringing charges and many charges, which we were not able to prove, was not that simply Paul would be kept in prison. Their goal was to have the Roman uh, um, um, governor have Paul put to death. And we saw part of the charges in chapter 24. These are exactly the same charges that they are bringing before Festus. And the charges can be summed up basically in three parts. Paul is guilty of the violation of the law of Moses for blasphemy and encouraging the Jews not to follow the law of Moses. Paul is guilty of desecration of the temple of Jerusalem because Paul would have tried to, 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 to bring a Gentile within the, the, the temple. Paul is also guilty because he is a threat to the public peace and, uh, uh, and the harmony of the Roman, um, the Roman jurisdiction, even to the person of Caesar, which is sedition. So these are the three charges that they bring before Paul. If the two first charges could be solved by the, uh, by the Jewish um, authorities, meaning the, the, the violation regarding the, temple, the, the law of Moses and also the desecration of the temple, they didn't have really uh, the authority to judge the question of the, uh, the threat to the public uh, peace and to the person of Caesar. That's why they insisted so much in their argument to show that Paul was guilty according to the Roman law. Paul is not only in danger because of the charges that is brought before him, but also we see that Paul is in danger because they are still plotting to kill him. Remember the very, very reason why Paul is in Caesarea is because when he was arrested in Jerusalem, some people uh, plotted to kill him. In fact, this is what we read in Act 23, 12 and 15. 
The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on, on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are, really, we are ready to kill him before he gets here. And uh, I remember a couple of Sundays ago, Louis clearly and beautifully uh, uh, showed to us the context uh, that in which that was happening, and even who were these kind of people that were making such a, 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 a vow to kill Paul. Re a religious killing that will be acceptable even before the law. So, in verse, 20, in verse 3 of our chapter, we read again, they requested Felix to, as Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem thought they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Two years, more than two years has passed, and still the plot of killing Paul is continuing. So we see that Paul is in serious danger. Imagine if Paul is out. Surely he would have died. So if it's not, it wasn't by the Roman hands that they were going to kill Paul, it was surely with from their own hands that they were going to take the, the thing in matter. But the thing is that, as I said, Paul is innocent. And this is one thing that we see throughout this passage in Acts 25. Paul, innocence. Paul's defend his case and proclaim his innocence toward the Jews and the Romans. In verse 8, he says that, I have done nothing wrong against the Jews' law or against the temple or against Caesar, which are the free domain on which the accusation was made toward him. Even Festus acknowledged that Paul is innocent. As, as we say that Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm, not, I'm now standing before the court, Caesar's court, where I ought to be, to be tried. I have, not, I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself knows very well. The very fact that Festus asked Paul if we would want to go to Jerusalem before the Sanhedrin to be judged is actually the very proof that Paul is innocent. Because if Paul was innocent according to the Roman law, Felix wouldn't have given him and asked him in this question, do you want to go to Jerusalem and be judged regarding this, 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 uh, this question? And Paul voiced out this sentiment expressed by Felix by saying, I have done nothing wrong to the Jews as you yourself knows very well. Festus would again confirm Paul's innocence before Queen Agrippa, when he presents Paul's condition, uh, false situation to him. He said, when his accusers got up to speak, this is verse 18 and 19, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed is alive. So Festus even acknowledged that 
Paul was being judged on the ground of some theological question, discussion, and not regarding to any moral uh, failure that uh, he would have done against uh, the law or the Roman law. And then also we see that Paul is innocent in the sense that Paul calls to Caesar. And this is, as I was saying in the beginning, imagine that you come into a, a movie and then or in a series, and then you wonder where this series fits in all the stories. Here we have exactly this very particular uh, 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 action that's happened, Paul appealing to Caesar. Thing is that Paul appearing to Caesar is very, very important because he plays a big uh, part in all the, uh, the, the plan that Paul, that God had in the life of Paul. Roman law at that time had that when a Roman citizen was subject to any, uh, any trials in which the, uh, the decision was beyond the scope of the jurisdiction of the governor, or that he was, he was uh, being, um, he was facing the possibility of being either uh, uh, killed or even uh, violently coerced, he could make an appeal for his case to be decided by the emperor. And Paul, as a citizen, as a Roman citizen, takes that opportunity, that right to appeal to the emperor. And I ask again, where is God in this period of, of Paul's life as he's facing all this trial? For us who understand where, Paul, where, Paul, where God is in Acts chapter 25, we need to understand and to look a little bit uh, further and see exactly what's the, the goal of, uh, of God's purpose in Paul's life. You see, God had a plan and a promise for Paul. And the promise of God for Paul and the purpose of God for Paul is that Paul will go to Rome and testify in Rome about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, that promise of God is shown to us. As we say that the, the, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And then this same truth is repeated to, to us in Act 27, verse, uh, verse 23. Last night, an angel of the, of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen to me just as he told me. And we see that promise of God toward Paul actually being accomplished as the book of Acts ends in chapter 28. For two years, Act 28, verse 13, 31, 31 tells us that for two years, Paul stayed in Rome, in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of, of God and of Christ, and about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
without bounds and without even any hindrance. God is also not only present in Act 20, Act 20, Act chapter 25 by the promise that he has made to Paul, but also God is present because God is protecting Paul in, as a way to accomplish his purpose in his life. God is protecting Paul, and this protection, we see it since the time that Paul arrived in Jerusalem. God is protecting him by, rescue, by having him rescued by the commander Claudius Lysius when the crowd was about to lynch Paul in Acts chapter, Act 21. God was continuing to protect Paul, even allowing that a full army will be with him to transfer him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And one of the questions that I asked myself as I was reading, could it be that the two years that Paul was kept in prison by Felix, although he was innocent, couldn't be that also a way that Paul in fact, uh, that God in fact was protecting Paul against the, 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 the crowd that was still in mind to, to kill him. As I said, God's purpose in Paul's life implied that, God, that Paul will go before to, to Rome before the Caesar. And for that, God was working in the background using even sinful leaders to protect and to accomplish his, uh, his will. Now, as, as we've seen that Paul, God is in the background working, what is Paul's attitude as he's facing all Israel? Lest we diminish what Paul is living, let us remind ourselves that Paul is in the serious and dangerous situation. And Paul is in that situation not because of his own will, but because of the purpose and the plan of God in his life. It is a very, very difficult moment on, on the life of Paul. As I think about it, I don't remember, I don't see, and we, we won't see much the church of Jerusalem in that story. It seems to be a lonely moment for Paul. We don't see much of his friends around him. Yet Paul endures this moment with courage, looking at the purpose of God. Paul endures his trial by defending and arguing his case in good conscience and courage. In verse 8 again, he said, I have done nothing wrong against the Jews, the Jewish law, or against the temple, or against Caesar. And he said again in verse 11, if, however, I was guilty of anything deserving death, I do not re refuse to die, but if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul is suffering here not because of his own sin 
all because of his own will, but because he's actually accomplishing and walking in the will of, of God. And as I said, we see in that very moment of Paul that Paul defends his case. He uses everything that is necessary to show that he's innocent. He even appealed to Caesar. Interestingly, here, here, I want to make a comparison with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that if we parallel Paul's situation and Christ's situation, they're exactly the same. Being judged by the Sanhedrin, then to be condemned, being brought before the Roman uh, 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 authorities. Now, what's interesting in Christ's case is that in all the accusation that was brought before to, uh, to, to, to condemn him, he said silence. He didn't say a word. He didn't even want to argue his case to show that he was innocent. But here, Paul, not, not like Christ, he's speaking. He defends his case. One might be wondering, why, Paul, don't you just shut up? Why don't you just stay silent like Christ did? To me, the answer is that both their attitude in the trial is determined by their understanding of God's purpose and promise to them. You see, Christ was silent because he understood that God's purpose for him was going through that. So he was willing to stay silent so that the purpose of God would be accomplished. Paul is speaking and defending his case, appealing to Caesar because he understands that the promise of God to him is that he should go to Rome and testify in Rome. He even takes the opportunity through his trial to defend the gospel, to preach the gospel to the different authorities that comes and, and look and, try and, and, and test his case. Good understanding of God's promise to us can help us endure in the trial. Now we come to the part of the of of the of the of the of the of, the, of the, my message where I ask the question, what is our, 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 what is that all has to do with us? We saw that God, although it, it seems that God is not present in Act 25, God in fact is present, is working in the background to accomplish his purpose in the life of Paul. We saw that Paul is in prison because of the will of God, because he's, working in, he's, he's walking in the will of God. And this is one of the encouragement that I would like to give for those of us who, like Paul, at the very moment in their life, are doing things that are according to the will of God, yet find difficulties in their life. You have done what you know is right before God. You have done what you know that God wants for your life, whether 
any situation. It might not be absolutely be because you are preaching the gospel, but because you are being obedient in God's will in your life. And then you find trials. Maybe you've been attending somebody that is sick for a long time. You decide to continue in that situation, but the difficulties continue to rise. Maybe you've decided that, okay, you understand that your will for God, for God uh, the will of God for your life is that you will be married, and then you're married, and then you find that in your relationship, very struggle. You are in the will of God. My encouragement for you is that persevere. Continue to walk according to what you understand that is the will of God for you. In 1 Peter 4, 12 to 9, Peter said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes unto you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you are participating in the suffering of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, as a thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even a, a, a maldoer. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear this name. So, that, so then, those who suffer according to, the, to God's will should commit themselves to that faithful creator and continue to do what is good. This is exactly what we see Paul doing. Our suffering can help us to grow, know God better, and see his faithfulness in our lives. But maybe you are not, or you have done something that you know in your life was against the will of God. Maybe you have blown up what God, you felt that you knew that God wanted for your life. As it says in Psalm 107, verse 17, some became full through their own rebellions, rebellious way, and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loaded all, loaded all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. From their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deed for mankind. Let them sacrifice thanks offering and tell of his work with song of joy. There was a time in my life I was in that situation. I blew up. I failed to work exactly according to what I understood God wanted for me. I became a Christian, I was 17, I was, I was 15. I was very, very zealous and very 
very glad to have, for the new faith that I've, uh, I've, I've decided to follow. I was known as a very, very young and very zealous uh, uh, young Christian, very, very fervent for the Lord, preaching the gospel, and also very spiritual. But then at the age of 18, 17, I was caught in a sinful and sexual um, a situation. I was spending the, um, my holidays to my sister. I was supposed to spend three, two to three weeks in her place. And there I met a young lady. And through the conversation that was going on in the, how, in the, in the, in the, in the house, I exposed myself in circumstances in which I ended up by having a sexual relationship with her. That didn't happen once, it happened more than two times. The first time that it happened, I was very shameful. It was like I was waking up from a bad dream, wondering if that had really happened, to find that that is not a dream, it did really happen, that I did really failed to live according to the sexual purity that I understood that as a young man, God wanted for me in my life. I was shamed, I was broken, I was feeling unworthy of Christ. You see, I was praying, asking forgiveness, but even being sure that Christ was listening to me, that God was near me. I called my sister and I explained to her what was going on. And I said, I just feel that I cannot stay here because there is no how I can see that I can get out of this situation if I continue. I called the young lady and I asked forgiveness because it was my, my active uh, pursuit that led us to fall into sin. I told her that I was a Christian and as a Christian I felt ashamed and I, asked for, I was asking forgiveness. As I said, I was supposed to stay three weeks for my, at my sister's house, but at the end of the first week, I went back to, to Abidjan. Still in shame, I called my brother and explained the situation to him. He held me, prayed with me, fast with me, so that I would see God's forgiveness and God's grace in my life. Years has passed, but this situation was still in my heart because I failed to live as a godly man. You see, it's something to sin before you are a Christian. But when you become a Christian and you sin, the weight, the shame, it can be very deep and can, de can stay for a long, long years. Until one day, all these thoughts came into my mind again. And I started praying. And then this word of the Lord came. If we say we have no sins, we make him a liar. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But not only to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That part cleans us from all unrighteousness 
what you want that really like was a bomb to my heart. The Lord cleaned me from my unrighteousness. The Lord was faithful to restore me in my, uh, in my walk with him. Joy, new appreciation of the person of Christ was now before me. When I met my wife, and then we decided that really we were serious about getting married, I confessed that sin to her. Because to me, that unfaithfulness that I committed when I was 18 was an unfaithfulness to the one that I was going to marry. I'm sharing this to you to say that sometimes, yes, we might have done, we might do something which is not according to God's will into our life. And these can bring us into pains and sufferings. But please, if you're in that situation, do not run away from God. Come to him in repentance. Confess your sin before him. Resolve to walk according to his will because our God is a faithful God. Our God is the God who restores. Our God is the God who works in the background using every circumstances even the failures that we have in our lives to accomplish his, pur his good purpose for us. As the word says, that everything works for the goods of those that love God, that, those that he has called according to his good purpose in Christ Jesus. That's the encouragement that I want to give you. If you are in the will of Christ and you see difficulties, don't think that the difficulty is because you are not in the will of God. It might be actually that God is working in the background to accomplish his purpose for you. If somehow, in some time in your life, you are in a position where you have not done what you knew clearly was the will of God, don't run away. Continue to draw close because God is a great God who forgives, restore. Let us pray. Yes, Lord, what a great Father and great God you are, merciful in all your ways. As the psalm says, even when our foolishness leads us away from you and we cry, you listen, you come, you heal us, you restore us. As you've shown your faithfulness in the life of Paul, showing that even through the trials, your good purpose to him was being accomplished, so I pray that, Lord, as we walk with you in your will and we see this trial come that will take courage and rest on you fully. And I pray that, Lord, as we go, those that in their heart even now know and sense that they fail, that will, will just see and understand again your love, your kindness, and your great uh, mercy that you are toward, them, toward us. Father, bless the rest of the day as we go. May your word continue to work into our heart to draw us close to you and to help us continue to endure in your way. Thank you and we commit the rest.